Our first scripture this morning comes from the prophet Malachi. I'm going to be reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If you want to follow along, it can be found in your pew Bible in the Old Testament section on page 874. Again, Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. comes from Luke's Gospel, the third chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6, if you want to follow along. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Ituri, and Trachontius, and Licinius, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before You this morning. And Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for who You are, for Your great love for us. And Lord, in a short while, we're going to gather around Your table. And Lord, we're going to receive that invitation to come and to remember the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And Lord, as we find ourselves in this season of Advent, we find ourselves in the in-between. On the one hand, we look forward to the celebrations of Emmanuel, of God with us. And Lord, we look forward to celebrating the Christ child born in that manger in Bethlehem. But on the other hand, we look forward to that day when our faith is going to become sight when you're going to return and set the world rights once and for all at your second coming. So Lord, as we stand in the in-between, as we stand between this time and that which is to come, Lord, we cling to you in faith. So Lord, help our faith to grow today. Help our trust in you to increase. And Lord, may we hear your voice speak afresh and anew to us today in a way and in a language that we can understand. All these things we ask that Christ might be honored and glorified both now and forever. And together, all God's people said, Amen. Well, over these last, well, last week as Will kicked our series off for us and throughout 
these coming weeks, we're going to be talking about home. And home, I think, for many has this Norman Rockwell, Thomas Kincaid sort of quality to it. I mean, when we think of home, maybe the image that comes to mind for you is an image of a house with just clouds of freshly fallen snow upon it. Or maybe it's the warm glow of a candle sitting upon the table as you're surrounded by those that you love. Or maybe it's the family sitting around the dinner table just laughing and singing and enjoying one another's company. Or maybe it's that perfectly prepared meal that looks like something out of a cookbook. A turkey or a ham with all the fixings and everyone's just enjoying the bounty and the blessing that's there around that table. Or maybe it's a picture for you of people walking to church on Christmas Eve. The streetlights just twinkling. The snow falling down. Hearts and minds prepared and ready for worship. The celebrations of Emmanuel, of God, with us. Well, maybe that's your image today. Or maybe your image is a little bit different. Maybe what you think of when you hear the word home isn't that picturesque scene. Maybe the idea of home for you is the same idea that many people have. Not glowing and twinkling streetlights. Instead, things are a bit dimmer. The turkey that's being passed around, it isn't so perfect. It's not idyllic. It's not even moist. Maybe the laughter is not so boisterous or uproarious. Because maybe for you, like for many, home is a place that you can't wait to get out of. A place that you don't want to return to. Because home for you represents pain. Maybe home represents for you something that you'd like to forget. Some scars that you bear. Maybe it's abuse that you suffered at the hands of someone that you love. Or maybe it's a joke that stung rather than elicited laughter. Maybe home for you is represented by that awkward family member, that Cousin Eddie, if you've watched National Lampoon's Christian Christmas Vacation, that, that part of the family that just always seems to show up even though they're uninvited, and each year their life gets a little more sorrowful, their life a bit more messy from one year to the next. Someone that you just want to escape from and you don't want to have to spend that much time with. Over recent days, I thought about home and what it might mean for my kids. I mean, my kids have lived in four different towns over the last four years. I wonder what they think about when they hear that word home. I wonder if there's a certain place that comes to mind or a certain smell or exactly what it is they think of. Maybe you're a kid who grew up in a military home and you too are used to moving around. And so when you hear that word home, you're not quite sure what to think of or what smells or pictures or things come to mind? Where is home may be the question that you're asking. But regardless, in many respects, for a lot of people, home is a rather loaded term. It's a rather distant concept of maybe a rather far-off destination. While many were singing, over the hills and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. I remember doing that as a kid. We'd sing on the way to my grandparents' house every single Christmas. Sometimes it was carols, sometimes it was that song, Over the Hills. And we'd 
talk about treetops glistening and sleigh bells ringing and all those sorts of things. And then one of us in our excitement would chime in, are we there yet? Home, it was the place that we looked forward to going to. But the journey for those who have been hurt, for those who bear the scars, for those who have had to move around, those who have endured abuse, the journey home can be filled with all kinds of other questions. Maybe a journey of anxiety, a journey that you feel like will never come to an end. Now, God's chosen people, the Israelites, they know well the pain that many in our world experience when they think of home. They've been abused. They've been mistreated. They've been looked down upon. They've been the butt of many a joke. They had received this promise of a land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place where things were going to be good, where they were going to prosper, where they were going to succeed, where they were going to enjoy the very best of life. But then they were displaced. And that idea of home for them became a distant reality. It became a memory of things long since past. They've been captives. They've been slaves. They've been foreigners in a foreign land. They've had no friends. They've had no one to turn to. They've been in that position where everything that they once held dear has been stripped away from them. They've been at the lowest of lows. They know what it is to be forgotten. They know what it is to have people give up on them. They know what it is to be overlooked. The homes that they had built with their own hands. The homes that they had labored so hard to see become this a reality. Those homes had been destroyed. All they had were memories of what they had built. The life that they had shared. They now tell their story in hushed tones. Stories about the good old days. Of how things used to be. Of how grand things once were. Talk about times when things were better, when God's promises had been realized in their lives. They talked about the grape arbors that used to overflow with grapes, so many grapes that they could eat them and press them, and they could make pies out of them and wine and all sorts of luxurious things. They talk about the days when the olives just overflowed in abundance. When they could eat them and they could press them into olive oil. They talked about those days when people streamed to the temple. When they used to go and they worshipped God and He alone. Back when things were good. They talked about the smell of sacrifices. How you used to be able to walk down the streets and you could just smell the fragrance of people offering up their best to God. Those were memories of life when it was good. And life had been good for God's people for quite a time. But now all that was a distant memory. As the prophet Malachi steps onto the scene, it's believed that exile has ended. God's people, many of them have returned home from captivity, but what they're returning home to is not what they left. The homes have been destroyed. The temple was torn down. In fact, they've just gone through this big process of rebuilding the temple, of erecting this structure that represented God's presence in the midst of His people. 
But there are still many who haven't come home. There are many who will come home this year and in the years to come. They're returning to the land that the Lord their God had promised them. A land that was supposed to be one of blessing and abundance. There are obstacles as they return home. There's a lot of rebuilding that needs to take place. There's a lot of rebuilding in their individual lives, but also in the life of the community that needs to take place. Or the language of Isaiah that John the Baptist employs, there are many mountains that they're going to have to climb as they return home. Many obstacles as they come back to their homeland. God's people are back physically in this place, but their hearts, though, they're still in exile. Physically, God's people are back and they're rooted in that familiar land and that familiar soil. But when it comes to their worship, they've continued to worship the gods of the foreign people and the foreign places. Fidelity and faithfulness to Yahweh. Fidelity and faithfulness to the Lord their God. That hasn't been a top priority for them. There were too many other pressing things that they needed to tend to. And so the prophet Malachi, commissioned by God, the prophet Malachi, with a message from God himself, he steps on the scene and he boldly stands there and he addresses God's people. He says, see, I am sending a message, messenger to prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi, and he will refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleased pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Malachi, in other words, stands there before God's people and he boldly declares the message that everyone wants to hear. Judgment is coming. Wow. That's not the message that anyone wants to hear, but Malachi has to proclaim it because it's the message that God has given him. Get your house in order, Malachi tells the people. Return home. Return to the Lord your God. Not just physically. Don't just come back to this land, but come back to the Lord your God. Follow Him. Serve Him. Serve Him alone. Worship the Lord your God and no other. You see, the return home for God's people, it's not an easy one. As had been the case in returns in history, they would oscillate between faithfulness and, and, and fidelity to the Lord their God, and they would oscillate between that and loving and worshiping the gods of their neighbors. At times, they would follow the Lord their God and they would follow Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but at other times, they would go off and do their own thing. On the one hand, they would rebuild the temple, which was this sacred structure that symbolized God's presence in the midst of His people. But on the other hand, on the other hand, they wouldn't keep the sacrifices. They wouldn't make the offerings. They wouldn't love the Lord their God. They wouldn't follow His commandments. Here's what I love. 
God refuses to give up on His people. He refuses to give up on these people who are so quick to give up on Him. And God is not just that way with the Israelites. He's that way with all of creation. All of humanity. In fact, in Luke chapter 3, after what was considered a time of silence prophetically, at a time when God's people had given up and they wondered if God had given up on them, another prophet finally emerges on the scene. His name is John the Baptist. He's the cousin of Jesus. And John comes onto the scene and he envisions a new day. He says, a new day is about to dawn. God is about to do something new in your midst. And he talks about a day when all the obstacles are going to be laid low. A day when all the wrongs are going to be righted. He envisions a day of peace, a peaceful homecoming for those whom life has not been easy for. A peaceful homecoming for those who have gone and done their own thing. But God says, come home nonetheless. More pointedly, John is depicted in Luke's Gospel as the one who is preparing and paving the way for this one who is to come. John is his forerunner. He is going before God's anointed one. He is preparing the way for the Messiah, the Savior, the much-anticipated one that all of Israel has been longing and looking to. He paves the way for the one who will make Israel and all of humanity able to have a relationship with God. And the incredible thing, the noteworthy part of what's being said, the good news that John shares with us is this, is that God's anointed one will do for us what we have been unable to do for ourselves. He will make a way. He will become that perfect, acceptable sacrifice that needs to be made. He will refine and purify us as God's people in a way that we could never refine and purify ourselves. He will refine and purify us in a way that the sacrificial system could never do. God's anointed one will make the path straight, John proclaims. He will fill every valley. God's anointed one will lay low and make smooth the mountains. John is there to proclaim. He's there to testify to the fact that Jesus, the very Son of God, will make the way home. He will make the way to God accessible. He will make the way to God welcoming and available to any and all who will place their faith and trust in Him. Jesus removes the obstacles he removes the challenges that stand in the way. The fact that we can never be good enough. The fact that we can never do enough good things. Truth that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Jesus has eliminated those obstacles. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, For our sake, God the Father made Him, Jesus, to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
perfect one, the blameless one, laid down his life so that in him and through him we can know God and be known by God. This Advent, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we celebrate and we acknowledge that in Jesus, the challenge of coming home, our sin, our lack of righteousness, those challenges have been removed. God has done for you and I what we couldn't do for ourselves. He made a way where we could not find a way. He made a way where we could not make a way for ourselves. And what's even better is He welcomes us with open arms. He invites us into His peace. He invites us into this new home. He invites us into a relationship where there's no longer division and separation between a holy God and unholy people such as us. One of my favorite parables in Scripture is the parable of the prodigal son. And as we talk about this idea of coming home, I can't help but see God as the Father in that story. He welcomes home the wayward child. The one who has gone off and done their own thing. The one who has gone off and spent all their inheritance. He welcomes that child home. And He throws a big party. And so too does God invite us And so too does God want us to come home to Him this Christmas. Friends, He's extended the invitation. He's made the way in Jesus Christ. He's opened the door. And now like the Father in that parable, He is standing there with His arms wide open saying, come home. Come. Experience my love. But the question is, will you come home? Will you respond to that invitation? Will you respond to the gift of God's Son? Will you see and will you experience the salvation of God? Or will you allow those challenges, the challenge of sin, the challenge of your own unrighteousness, the challenge of you just being stubborn, will you allow those challenges Keep you from experiencing the love, the joy, the peace, and the hope that God desires to give us in Christ Jesus. Will you come home? Or will you allow those obstacles, those challenges to win out? 